Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we're celebrating that freedom today. You see, today we gather in celebration. First, for our freedom as citizens of the United States of America, on this day in 1776, our families before us declared their freedom from the church state of England. Thirteen colonies fled a world where they could worship God as they felt led to, no matter how some organized government told them to do so. Isn't it amazing how history encircles itself? But not only do we celebrate the freedom that we have for today, we also celebrate the spiritual freedom that over 2,000 years ago was established by Jesus Christ dying on the cross as a perfect substitution for our sins, for resurrecting and promising to come back one day to bring us unto where he is as well. And so this scripture today is one that speaks about spiritual freedom. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. There is a Bible in the pew in front of you, or there will be notes here on the screen, or if you have a, a phone or a tablet or something that has the Bible app on it, you can follow along with that outline as well. So join me as we read God's Word. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. It says in verse 7, The old way, or some translations say ministry, the old way with laws etched in stone led to the death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. Just to bring you up to speed, they're talking about when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. It says, For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? Now, I know we are Baptists and we don't like anything new. But the truth of the matter is there was a new way to worship. And Paul is instructing those Jews about the new way and the Gentiles as well. He says, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life. Verse 9, in the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious. How much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which remains forever? Those of you that remember, old enough to remember the old sizzling bacon commercial. Do you remember that one? Move over, bacon. It's time for something meteor. And it was sizzling. Now, sizzling has gone by the wayside, and people still love bacon. Amen? You're like, Peachy, you don't need to talk about food. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that we are looking at the old way that God dealt with the sins of his people, meaning there was a temple, meaning there were priests, meaning there were blood sacrifices that people would have to be be made on people's behalf for them to get a forgiveness status of their sin. But in the new way, no longer is there a temple necessary. No longer is it necessary to slaughter animals. The, the one true sacrifice of Jesus Christ was the sacrifice that made it once 
and for all. So we see here some translations talk about an old covenant and a new covenant. So let's start with some basics. Number one, what is a covenant? The definition of a covenant is a promise that God makes to humanity. A covenant is a promise that God makes to humanity. Some examples of covenants that God has made would be, for example, when you see a rainbow. Believe it or not, a rainbow is a symbolic gesture that God gave to prove that he would never destroy the world by water again. There's the Abrahamic covenant where he promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations and ultimately the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come out of his family line. And so the Bible is filled with several covenants that God had made to people. And this is a new covenant that God makes, that Paul is talking about. If we go back and we look at verse 7, we see the purpose of the law. The law meaning the Ten Commandments. I want you to understand something, that, that the Ten Commandments are just as valid today. We can take them out of our schools. We can take them out of our courtrooms, which amazes me that, that uh, the justice system was founded upon the Ten Commandments. But now we're not allowed to have them in courthouses. We're not allowed to have them in schools. We can keep them to ourselves. Some people call them the Ten Suggestions. Some people just don't even recognize them at all or even cater to them. But the truth of the matter is, these Ten Laws, the Ten Commandments, were never designed to save anyone. They were designed to show us our need for saving. It gave the the God's instruction manual on how to live the life that he has created us to live. And the purpose of the old way, with laws etched in stone at the end of the day, if someone could keep every one of the Ten Commandments, which is impossible, which is why we needed Jesus Christ. But if someone could keep the Twelve Commandments, I mean Ten Commandments, that means all that they did is they were able to keep the Ten Commandments. It was not meaning that they had salvation. You see, the New Covenant that Paul talks about, that is a promise that makes believers like you and I right with God. A a biblical word for this would be righteous. Now, a lot of times we hear about righteous, righteousness. We are in a right standing with God. That means when he looks at us in the midst of our sins, even though maybe we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior Lord, and maybe he caught us on a bad day, he still doesn't see the badness. He sees his son Jesus because Jesus has made us right with him. We see that the new covenant is the promise that God makes with humanity that he will forgive sins. Not only forgive sins, but here's the main thing. Restore a relationship with God. Are you familiar with the story of the prodigal son? If you remember that story vaguely, you remember that the prodigal son asked the father for his inheritance early. He went off. He spent it. He wasted it. Times changed. He got Times got tough. And he came home expecting just to be one of his father's hired hands. He wanted his father's forgiveness. And the father did more than that. The father forgave him, but he also gave him a robe, a ring, a sandal, and a feast, meaning that he was back in the family. He not only forgave him of his wrong errors, but he also made him part of the family. The thing is, is that Jesus Christ... 
is the mediator of the new covenant. His death on the cross is the basis of the promise. You can look at chapter 22 of Luke in verse 20 that talks about that. And look at this new covenant as not a replacement to cancel out the old covenant. It's not one for the other. It's not taking away the Ten Commandments and saying they're not valid and then saying, okay, now it's just about Jesus. I think Jesus did the best job of anybody. I mean, there again, Jesus was Jesus. Do you know how he summarized the Ten Commandments? When, when the, the Pharisees and the, the hypocritical leaders said, okay, Jesus, of the Ten Commandments, which one of them is the one that you can let slide? Or which one of them is the greatest of these? Meaning that we need to give special interest to you know, number three, number four, but maybe not five or six. And Jesus so eloquently summed up the Ten Commandments when he said, first of all, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And my friend, that summarized the first half of the Ten Commandments. And then he said, after that, love your neighbor as yourself, which summarized the second half. So I want you to understand that Jesus didn't come to abolish the Ten Commandments. He came to fulfill them. The Ten Commandments showed us where God expected us to be and how we could live a life according to God's perfect standard. But God knew that we were not perfect. The purpose of the Ten Commandments and many religious laws of the Old Testament were to identify God's moral code in our lives. Many of you have raised children, grandchildren, taught children, had children around you. Have any of y'all had to teach your child how to misbehave? Isn't it crazy? Have you ever had to teach a child how to defy you? You say, don't go there. And they'll go. And just look at you while they do it. And it's like you don't have to teach them anything because there's this inner original sin that we are all born with. And then now we have the Ten Commandments saying this is what you need to do to live like God wants you to live. But the bar is so stinking high, there is no way that you can meet it on your own. No way I can meet it on your own. That is why we needed Jesus Christ. The purpose of the Ten Commandments were never to save people. It was to convict them and show them their need for God's forgiveness. And we know this because Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Again, you know, as we sit back, I'm sure uh, Peter would have a, a fit over this about the animal sacrifices. They would have to take the best animal, no blemishes. It would have to be with the family. The family would have to get feelings for it and and almost like a pet. And then that animal would be the sacrifice for their sin, the blood of that animal would cover their sins. But my friends, we don't need those sacrifices today. Even though there are a sect of of Jewish leaders over in Jerusalem and over in the Middle East, they want to start up those practices again. But that would just be mutilation because that blood no longer atones for sins. Jesus Christ's blood atoned for your sin and mine. And we hear it so much in church, the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, that I hope you never get 
calloused to the fact that every drop of blood was shed so that when you fall short of God's glorious standard, when you fall short of the Ten Commandments, or you fall short of the greatest commandment of which Jesus gave, which is the summation of the Ten Commandments, when you fall short, you understand that it was the cost of that blood sins, not only for you to be forgiven and become a Christian, but for you to be sanctified and walk every day trying to be more like Jesus. You're going to fall. You're going to trip. And anybody that tells you that if you are a Christian, you're going to be perfect, has sold you an impossible, unbiblical view of what it means to be a Christian. Christians are not perfect. They are humbled. They are repentant. They realize that they don't have it together and they realize their need for Jesus. How do I know that? John 1.29. Let me show you this verse. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, he was saying that there is no longer going to be a need for lambs to be sacrificed, for doves to be sacrificed. This is the Lamb of God. God has provided the ultimate sacrifice so that you can be free from those sins that try to manipulate you, try to hold you down. The memories that live in the back of your mind that won't let go. You have been forgiven of those things, but some of us have to forgive ourselves of those things. That's only possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. Our sacrifice now is not to sacrifice an animal. Your sacrifice and my sacrifice, believer, is to die to our selfish ways in order to live for God's purpose. That is our sacrifice. Dying to Christ every day. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done in my life. The second thing we see is belief in Jesus is the key to understanding your spiritual freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12-15 through 15 says, Since the new way gives us such confidence, we can be bold. I love that. We can be bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. What's the deal with the whole veil over the face thing? Well, we see in scriptures in several places, for the most part, if anybody ever saw God straight on, they would die. That's why the priest, when they went into the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, they would have a... a their robes and they would have a rope tied to their ankle to where if they had any sin in their lives they would be incinerated the bell stopped ringing and they would pull out the corpse because they knew that priest didn't make it that's why they had so many intense cleansing rituals before they even entered the holy of holies i know if it hadn't been for jesus christ i would burn up if i just walked even the door but because of christ what would happen is is that we see it in moses We saw it in Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration. When people saw God, their face glowed. There was what they call a Shekinah glory about them. And so we see that Shekinah glory was known to be or thought to be the presence of God that lived in the Holy of Holies. That Shekinah glory that can only be seen by seeing God. 
But it says in verse 14, But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds, so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Look, you can be the best person you want to be. You can be one of those folks that says, well, I believe that if you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe, no matter where, we're all going to be in heaven. Bull, loney. There's only one way to heaven. And I'm not being judgmental. I'm not being a fundamentalist. I'm not being anything, but I'm just being scriptural where he said, no man comes to the Father except through me, that was Jesus Christ speaking. Verse 15 says, yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil that they do not understand. You see, many still reject Jesus today as their Savior and Messiah. There are, there are schools. There are Christian schools. There may be even seminaries that teach the Old Testament as a history book. That teaches the New Testament is a history book. I remember being a good little church boy going to AU back on his Anderson College. And I thought all my Bible studies and all my uh, Sunday school lessons were going to pay off. I was going to ace New Testament theology. And I was going to ace. All, I knew all the stories until they started teaching. I'm like, huh? I didn't know that. That ain't right. There's no way. Then all of a sudden they were teaching it. As a book apart from faith. And I'm telling you what. You either struggle with that and get over it. Or it bulldozes you over. And unfortunately in many classrooms. There are instructors. There are teachers. That they run over students every semester. With that stuff. Because the kids don't know what they believe. They don't have a church that has preached the gospel. They don't have leaders that have invested into their lives. And know the difference between what is right And what is wrong? And that's another sermon for another time. Because there are very good seminaries. There are very good colleges. There are very good professors that teach how to reason those things. And I'm grateful for them. But find freedom in this, my friends, today. As you go off, maybe some of you are going to light a firecracker or twirl a sparkler or eat a hamburger or chug down some barbecue or whatever you're going to do. Hey, man, it's freedom, man. Freedom. Eat. Let's eat. We're free to eat. We're free to watch our dogs freak out while fireworks go on. Man. There again, another story for another time. But you can find freedom in this, my friends. You cannot live up to God's standards. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. If you think that you're perfect, you are perfectly flawed. Because you are not perfect. So you can find freedom in the fact, not that you need to be perfect, but you can find freedom in the fact that when you are not perfect, Jesus Christ makes you perfect. Don't let Satan beat you down by believing that there's no way for you to live up to God's standards. Because you know what? He's right. There is no way you can live up to God's standards. That is why we need Jesus Christ. But he never reminds you of that fact. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are free from the chains of sin today, my friend. Can I get an amen on that? Sin can no longer hold you because you are free because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The bad thing is, is that that means when believers sin, it's not because they're enslaved to do it and have no choice. When a believer sins, it's because they choose to. Just like that kid that you tell them, don't touch that, and they're like... And just touch it. It's no different. 
We sin because we choose to. But when we sin, when we mess up, when we trip up, there is Jesus. We can go to, we can repent of our sins, we can ask for forgiveness, and we can move on. We don't need to live in that sinful state. So your confidence today, my friend, is not in Homeland Park Baptist Church, in the pew that you're sitting in, or even the person sitting beside you, in front of you, or behind you. Your confidence today is found only in Jesus Christ. And your ability to not keep the laws, but for Jesus' mercy and grace to help you for forgiveness. Some of you don't take your sins seriously. The last time some of you have confessed any sins was probably when you were a youth or a children. Because when we get older, we think we don't sin. Because we don't read God's Word. If we don't read God's Word, we don't know what we're doing wrong. If we don't know what we're doing wrong, we're living a lie. I don't know about you, but I believe James talked about it where it says, what good does it do for us to look into the mirror, see something wrong, and then just walk away? But that's what people do every day. Boldness is found in a commitment to Jesus. And also, my friends, Jesus is committed to you. There is a great encouragement to know that if you mess up, Jesus' commitment to you never wavers. This does not mean that we can willfully disobey Jesus' word and will for our lives and not suffer consequences and not suffer a grieving of the Holy Spirit, not feel like God is a million miles away. He's not. We're the ones that have strayed. This does mean that you and I do not have to be perfect. My friends, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the author, meaning he started it, And the perfecter of our faith. You are not in this alone, my friends. He will show you where you are wrong. He will forgive you when you come to Him. And He will help you in future decisions. I don't know if you've ever been in this kind of situation where maybe you work for somebody and they told you this, maybe a family member or a friend or a superior or a teacher or a coach, where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, even if you go out and you totally mess up. You know that that person publicly will stand behind you and then in private correct you where you need to be corrected. If I know I have people in my life that will let me mess up and correct me behind closed doors in a loving, spiritual way, I can do anything. And what I want you to know here, my friend, no matter what age you are, when you mess up, Jesus has got your back. So you can be bold. When Satan wants to remind you of what you've done, let Jesus remind you of what he did for you. When Satan tries to tell you that you're unworthy to do anything for God, let your faith in God tell you that you can do anything that God has called you to. Maybe today is the day you need to forgive yourself as God has forgiven you. You realize forgiving ourselves is one of the consequences of sin. Satan always tries to remind us of where we've fallen short. But Jesus says, that has been forgiven. Pick up by your bootstraps and move on. And that's the thing, and I've said this before, and I'm, I'm kind of chasing a rabbit, but hopefully we'll see it here. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You cannot forget what people have done to you, 
and people cannot forget what you've done to them. But forgiveness, the Bible says, is when God chooses to remember that sin no more, as far as the east is from the west. So that means true forgiveness is when you remind it, you remember that Jesus has forgiven it. To live in the shadow of what you've done. You don't have to live in the shadow of who you used to be because of what Jesus Christ has done. You are free from that, my friend. It's like the jail at, at Mayberry. The key's on the door. Let yourself out and quit being chained up by things that God has already forgiven you of. And the third thing, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Verses 16 through 18. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Some of you know what that is. You know, it might be a sermon. It might be a camp experience. It might have been a vacation Bible school experience. It may have been an experience with a parent or a leader where you remember all of a sudden the veil's taken away and you realize because the Holy Spirit is drawing you. And you realize that you are a sinner, that you are in need of a Savior. You need to confess your sins. You need to repent from those sins and trust God with the rest of your life. You realize the only way that happened was because the Holy Spirit drew you to it. And there have been, I'm sure, many times where people have felt that drawing and said, no, not today. They would rather live in slavery to sin than freedom in Christ. For the Lord, verse 17, for the Lord, the Spirit, and wherever the Lord, Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, who is the Spirit, who makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Folks, turning to Jesus What does that mean? That's a good biblical word, a good church word called repentance. If you and I are going down the road and I tell you, you need to turn here, to turn means to repent. You can't say, I'm sorry, God, forgive me, forgive me, and keep holding on to that thing you're asking for forgiveness of. You've got to turn from it. This verse restates and amplifies what was said in verse 11. Here we see a call for evangelism. We see a call for repentance. How will people know what Jesus has done for them unless God the Holy Spirit draws them unto himself? And the only reason, only way that we can do that is that, folks, we have to be more conscious about telling others about our faith in Jesus. You don't have to be preachy about it. You don't even have to know four Bible verses. You can tell them from your heart. I mean, everybody knows John 3.16. Man, let me tell you what, God loved me so much that he gave his only son so that I could be free and not perish. But too many people are tied to the rope. Too many people in churches today, just like ours, are tied to the rope. And what do I mean by that? As a man was walking past some elephants, he suddenly stopped confused at the fact that he saw these huge elephants that were being held to a small rope tied to their front leg. No chains, no cages. It was obvious that the elephants could at any time break away from their bonds. For some reason, they didn't. So he saw the trainer nearby, and he went and he talked to the trainer, 
And he asked about those animals and he said, how in the world do you have these huge beasts of elephants tied to a stake with just a thin rope? Well, the trainer said, when they are very young and much smaller, we use the same size rope to tie them. And at that age, it's enough to hold them. Now, check this out. As they grow up, they are conditioned to believe they cannot break away. They believe the rope can still hold them, so they never try to break free. The man was amazed that these animals could at any time break free from the bonds because they believed they couldn't. They were stuck right where they were. My friends, someone who does not know Jesus as their Savior and Lord often does not even realize that they are chained to sin. It's all anyone knows until Jesus reveals otherwise to them. So there are people out there today, and maybe even in this congregation today or watching by video, that is enslaved by sin. And maybe for the first time they realize it and they need forgiveness of their sins. Folks, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Spiritual freedom is found in knowing Jesus. And spiritual freedom is shared by sharing Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes us free to live our lives as God has designed them. Then it says here in the passages that the believers reflect God's glory. Did you know that there's lighthouse tenders and one of their jobs as a lighthouse tender is to go to the top of the lighthouse and shine the lenses where the light is. You don't want a lighthouse with a smudge on it, on the lens. You don't want a dirty lens at a lighthouse because people's lives depend on that. And my friend, you are the light of the world. And when you and I allow our lives to have sin and smudges on it, we are retarding the light that Christ has put in us. It's not his problem. It's our problem. says in verse 18, And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Folks, God invites you and I, as, we, as well as any other people, to an intimate relationship with Him. One that transforms us. God will change our lives and change us from the inside out, not the outside in. So you don't know how... I mean, you may dress a little weird. You may... Say a few words that you don't think the preacher would want to hear. Maybe you have some stuff in your home or your car or on a computer that you wouldn't want the the preacher to see. Well, my friend, God sees it anyway. And here's the thing. You might think, well, I can give up that, but I'm not ready to give up this. And I'm not ready to give up that. My friend, it's not about taking a bath before you clean up. It is about the fact that God sees you and loves you. And you cannot change your ch- yourself. So quit trying to get, re- get your life ready for Jesus because that's a futile effort. And let Jesus come into your life and he will transform you from the inside out. You will find those things that you used to desire, you don't desire anymore. You will start to find that your language changes, that your outlook changes. And it's not because you're trying to please the preacher or your parents or, or family members or friends. It's because... He's transforming your life. 
Boy, I'm glad he did, because if he didn't, I would be a mess today. If I'd be even alive. Don't know. But if God changes your heart, he will change your behavior. So how will others, like families and friends, and the world know that Jesus has transformed us? It's when we spend time with him and we start to act like him. So to wrap it up, spiritual freedom and independence is found in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. My friend, that is how you find spiritual freedom. You and I cannot change the world and change our lives in our own strength. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where there is Jesus, there is the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that you would be free today. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for our message, our music, our scriptures. Lord, it's been a fun Sunday, an exciting Sunday. But Lord, if there is anyone here today that is in bondage by their sin, or the devil has lied to them to think that they will never be who you want them to be, may they break free from that sin today. May today be the day that they are free. As Angie read earlier, they are free indeed. If there is someone here today that does not know for sure that Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord of their lives, I pray that today is the day they come forward and we will rejoice with them as they find freedom in Christ. There's those that just want to come to the altar and pray or rededicate their lives. May they come as well. Maybe someone wants to be baptized. This time of invitation is for you, Lord. May you have them respond in your will and your way. It will be by your spirit and by your prompting. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand for our invitation? Mm-hmm.